This isn't just beer. This is beer longing. month we'll be talking about beer beery adventures and we'll be discussing the topics that are reverberating around the beer community this is beer longing i'm steve and after a brief hiatus i've dusted off my microphone and headphones and i'm back with a new beer o'clock show podcast beer longing but i'm not going to be doing this alone and i'm very pleased to be joined by two of my very good friends and it gives me the greatest of pleasures to introduce and welcome mark johnson and rob edwards to the co-host chairs welcome gentlemen Hey, Steve. It is great to be doing this with, with you guys. It, it really is. But I'm aware that not all of our listeners might not know who you are, um, which is they should, um, because we, we, we've we spoken. You've both been guests on, on previous podcasts. Let's have a brief introduction from you both on who you are. I'm uh, Mark Johnson. I've been a beer blogger for 10 years, a listener of podcasts for a bit of a shorter time, and I'm very, very happy to be here. I am Rob Edwards. I'm from the West Midlands, and I'm a beer enthusiast. You may have seen me on Twitter tweeting about beer, and I blog from time to time about beer culture and just beer travel, really. It's great to have you both here, um, and it's it's probably a good point to talk about how this came to be, really, because obviously um, back in the summer, Martin announced that he was leaving the Opinions podcast and we we shared that fact, first of all, at the summer sesh when we were in Birmingham and then on subsequent podcasts. And it's probably fair to say that from the moment Martin announced he was leaving, I don't think anybody really believed that I was actually going to be done with beer podcasting at that point. No chance. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, I'd already sort of had some ideas and and one of those ideas was, and, and I think I'd, I'd spoken to, to you about this, Rob, was, was about you and I doing something because yep. um, you were getting really involved with your social distancing sounds and I was really liking the way that he was presenting that and I thought you know what I could I could, I could see myself doing something with Rob so we'd, we'd had some brief discussions about it and then uh, we got to the summer sesh and we all had a drink and Mark turned up midway through the afternoon <laughs> like a epiphany in the doorway <laughs> it was a magical moment and then as the evening wore on I, I remember sitting down with Mark um in i think it was in tilt and we were it was definitely in tilt yeah yeah, we were fairly beard up by that point uh i think there were a few tears being shed uh, at which point mark you actually said to me did you ever consider me as a future co-host and right up until that point i'll admit i hadn't because it had never really crossed my mind that that was something that you might have wanted to do so a quick few discussions ensued and this happened as, as a result, the three of us coming together to, to do this new podcast. And I'm really excited to be doing this with you guys. It's something, it's something I've thought about podcasting for a good number of years. And um, 
as Steve has learned in the last couple of months, I'm terrible with technology. So <laughs> the chances of me starting one all hinged on the fact that I would have to learn how to do things. So this is the perfect gateway for me to enjoy podcasting without having to learn how to turn on a computer properly. So, so you're just using this as a springboard to launch your own podcast. Absolutely. It was, it was quite funny actually on, on the summer session day in Birmingham earlier on in the afternoon before you guys sat down, uh, there were some jokes about the Mark Johnson and Rob Edwards podcast, but I think that would have been a, a disaster without you to, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> as drill sergeant. Of, of the podcast it's very, very kind of you to say rob but i think i think you both will come into your own as as we begin to to go through these shows and as certainly as we start to get more comfortable with with one another and, and and chatting about various things now we've got a bit of a format that we've put together for this new podcast and this will continue to evolve over time we're not set on this at the moment this is just the first time we're doing it so so we're obviously keen to hear listener feedback on this we've got a few segments throughout the the show and I think each of those we've tried to design it to be a little bit different from what I've previously done but also maybe a little bit the same as as, as well because it's those discussion points that that really we we really enjoy getting into is is, is just talking about beer and, and and beer culture and as I say we will be encouraging you our listeners to feedback into every show you can use the hashtag belonging to get involved and we will find your comments and we will be featuring those in future shows so without further ado let's move on to what will be our first normal segment in in this show and this is what we're calling from the shelves from the shelves from the shelves from the shelves what we wanted to do uh, at the beginning of the podcast was basically to I'll be honest, we were going to steal an idea that was on a previous uh, beer podcast. Beers Without Frontiers used to do this segment at the beginning of their show where they'd have a mystery beer, what they'd all open, what they'd open the beer, and then they'd try and guess what it was before one of them revealed that it was. And, and we felt as though it was a bit obvious just to, to steal content straight from another podcast. So we came up with our own sort of riff on that. So what we've done, we've each sent one of the others a beer. And, and that beer is something that represents something to us either locally or something to us individually, or maybe it's a new beer or a hype beer that we wanted to talk about. So what we're going to do, first thing we're going to do is we're going to go around the room and we're all going to, because we've not opened these beers yet, so we don't know what we've got. We're all going to reveal what we've got. So Rob, I could see that you were looking at your bottle there. What what have you got in your, in, in your hands? What are you going to be drinking shortly? Uh, uh, let's see if I can get the pronunciation right. I think it's a Wivenhoe Troll Pole. But if I was to say, I'd call it a Wivenhoe Trail Pale, a traditional pale ale with character. And it appears to be from Briarbank Bar and Brewery in Ipswich. Mark, what, what have you got? I have got Burning Soul. This is from Rob, of course. Burning Soul's Oni's, Oni's Blessing IPA. That's how I pronounce it, but I have no idea if that's correct. Which is a Brett IPA at 5.8%. And I think it's becoming fairly obvious who sent who what here, because I've got a beer from Torside. Um, I've got Bugbear, which is an American brown, 4.5%. So I'm, I'm guessing that that came from you, Mark. So let's get these into the glass, and then we'll talk about why we, we sent them to each other and our reasoning behind it. As I say, I've got the uh, the Bugbear, so thanks, Mark, for, for sending this over. I think it was a very close-run thing, wasn't it, to get in one of your... 
barley wine collabs that you did with them re- recently. And I've I've got to say, I'm probably happier that I've got an American brown than a smoked barley wine. <laughs> I, was, I was determined that I was going to get um, a beer that I helped collab on and that was smoked to you, Steve, which we'll go into a little bit later in the show. And with that not being possible, because somebody was on holiday, which is absolutely fine, um, I thought, what would Steve like? And I thought... I, I can't remember even knowing what mostly what kind of beers you like, whether there was a discussion about the fact that you don't see American Browns enough or whether you just don't like them. But I thought either one of those is a good reason to send you um, a Torside American Brown because similar to Elusive, I think they do a lot of those kind of styles, American Browns, American Reds, things that we don't see a great deal of very, very well. Um so whether it was that you didn't like them or you don't see them enough, I thought it was a very good reason to send you one because I think it's an excellent, excellent beer, which, before you say it, Steve, is very, very good on cask. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like them, and I did say you don't see them enough. Um, there we so, go. So, so you went on the right side of that. <laughs> I, I will say this is absolutely delicious. It's um, it's like really chocolatey on, on the nose, and and then it's just got this lovely hoppy characteristic in the middle of it which which just gives a, a, a little bit of bitterness at the end so thank you very much for, for this uh-huh. mate i am i'm Brilliant. very very happy to be the recipient of, of of this that's for sure so rob go on what why have i got a brett ipa from well i i can imagine why i've got it from burning soul but why this beer in particular yeah uh well from burning soul because um you it was great to see you in birmingham i didn't think you were going to turn up but um, unfortunately, you missed Burning Soul at the start of the day. So I thought I'd uh, get you a, a, a local beer to me. And I thought Burning Soul would be the ideal brewery to choose. In terms of why I chose this beer, I don't really know if you're into Brett or not. But kind of in terms of what they had available in can, I think the other ones were like their ice cream pie. And I thought that's not very Mark Johnson. And there was another sort of, Hazy pale, and th- this is a beer that I very much like to drink in in the tap room. Like Brett, I Brett, uh, maybe a, a polarizing thing in beer. Some people love it, and some people hate it. But I, I think this is a very, very pointable beer. So I thought I'd share it with you and uh, see what you think. I'll, I'll tell you something, and you are absolutely right that. Um, what I was sad about was missing some of the tap rooms when I came to Birmingham. So I've not, I don't know if I've ever had a burning soul beer. I'm, there is certainly a brewery that I'm aware of. They don't, they probably don't travel as much as a couple of the other Birmingham breweries. So it's quite possible that, that you wouldn't have had them. But it's, it's interesting that Brett is, um, I, I want to say as a flavor, I mean, obviously as a, as a yeast, something that we're all yeah. very much aware of. And then I'm trying to think how often do we see it? Because I can, you know, pick out a couple of Siren and certainly Wild Bay beers that very much have made it the, the, the prominent feature of the beers. But we don't actually see it that often. That, by the way, is absolutely delicious. Oh, great. Man. And I forget how much Brett IPAs work as a style. And it is leaving me leaving me thinking all of a sudden, why wouldn't we see more of this style? Because it's so refreshing. 
It's so refreshing. Yeah, they, they kind of had a, a moment maybe like three or four years ago where there was loads of them, and then probably like Brute IPA turned up or something like that, and they're forgotten about for a bit. But for me, uh, for my personal preferences, it's a style that works very well, and um, I, I got myself a can of this as well. And personally, I think it, I think I enjoyed it more on draft. Maybe the conditioning was slightly better, but yeah, I'm uh, glad to hear you enjoying it. Rob, I, I know you know, uh, it's Chris, isn't it, that, that runs Burning Soul? I, I know you know him quite well. Are, are they not concerned about the, the, the breadth just infecting the whole brewery because it's 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 only quite a, it's quite a small brewery, isn't it? It's quite a small space that they're in. Uh, yeah, I guess it is really. I, I know Chris; he's um, he's very scientifically focused, so it's certainly something he, he will have thought about. And he has been work working on just developing his um, strains of Britannomyces for for quite some time, which is this has been like the result of that that project and i've certainly haven't noticed any issues with because generally speaking a lot of their beers are just straight up fermentation rather than mixed fermentation so i certainly haven't um experienced any issues and he's brewing a lot of different styles so that, that, that's certainly something that it's worth me asking him about that actually being, it's just be interesting to see how can how controlled it is. Yeah, because, because I know say, that yeah, it is a small small place. Yeah, because some some breweries won't have any sort of bacteria, intentional bacteria anywhere near their yeah. that their normal operation. Will they? They'll that they'll have a, a separate operation just to produce those sorts of beers. I think what's great about Burning Soul is that as a brewery, they are always experimenting with different styles. So perhaps they are more um, just excited to to try something different rather than worrying about the the potential disaster. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I might have actually had that beer as well when when we were there at the beginning of the summer sesh. I reckon that would have been on. Yeah, it is. It is does normally tend to be on at the tap room. And I know that um, there's a lot of Brett beers that are hiding and just waiting for um, to be released, <laughs> um, and 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 a lot of um, aged stouts as well, actually. So I, th- I think they will all appear at the tap room at some point, perhaps for a, a special event. I, th- I think not, not to like go on about it too much, but in in terms of the way that we treat Brett in this country, because that's what I was thinking. When I found when I, like I've been in Belgium, if you, you're in somewhere like Ghent, if you're in like the the most tourist center in the center of a town like that, that all the local cafes will serve Jupiler, but they'll serve some like they'll have all valin bottles, mm-hmm. and it'll be relatively fresh. Whereas in this country, we get bogged down in just like oh finding the sweet spot 18 to 24 months age brett kind of thing whereas over there it's it's like having a an australia on the beach in spain or something it's it's just a really fresh tasting beer because it's still quite young and brett as a young flavor is actually really refreshing and tasty which is how i'm kind of tasting this beer and I feel like we get bogged down in this country that Brett has got to be aged at all possibilities to give it the chance to become something different. Whereas actually, 
as as a young flavor it's it's very refreshing and this is very refreshing so i, I think i think they recognize that as well because having been there very recently <laughs> uh there were at least the there were at least a couple of bars that were you could you could buy all val and if if you wanted all val you were buying the newest version of it but then you could also <laughs> pay extra to buy certain vintages of it so you you know the older it was the more you were going to pay for a bottle of it as well so i I think they acknowledge that it the flavor of it changes but their preference would be if i guess if somebody comes in and they don't really know beer or they're not too geeky about beer and they just ask for an all vowel what they're going to get is a nice fresh young one that that, that's that's tasting very very different from the aged one that you can pay Definitely. It's just something we get bogged down in this country is just that Brett means age and it doesn't, it, it tastes really good in a, just a young pale ale. Absolutely fantastic. So thank you, Rob. Anyway. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So Steve, why did you choose the Wivenhoe trail pale, this golden ale for me? Okay. So, so there are a number of reasons. It's, it's obviously a place that's very local to, to, to where I am. So Wivenhoe is a small, village just outside of about three four miles outside of colchester uh recently there's a small bottle shop opened up there called 10 beer bottles um that, that's doing quite a range of beers um and, and they've got a fairly decent online presence as well so you can do mail order from them as well but they recently turned a year old so they that they brewed this beer with Briarbank, who are quite a what you would probably call a more traditional brewery based in Ipswich they do a lot of sort of traditional styles so the the, the bitters stouts porters that sort of thing but they have they have started experimenting with, with some more sort of out there styles as well so the two of them came together to to, to to, to brew this but it's it's been exclusively brewed with um kind of what I, I'd call this new wave of English ops so it's got um Harlequin Jester and Olicana in it they're they're the the three hops that are in there and i thought it would be a really interesting beer to showcase one because of where it's come from in terms of a fairly small brewery and a fairly small bottle shop coming together to 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 brew it but two because of that combination of of Mm -hmm. hops as well because we're seeing a lot of beers now with, with these new british hops in in them and there's been a lot of talk about how they are counterpart to their american cousins and i'm not always sure that i buy into that 100 interestingly um when i did take my first sip i say sip it as a gulp it's definitely a a gulping beer um i thought okay there's some there's some fruitiness here and i i purposely hadn't read the information on the bottle but straight away i was thinking ah okay have we got some of these um these new age england hops in there and I probably would have, well, those are, those hops are probably the three I can name. But uh, I've actually had some experience drinking um, Jester, Harlequin, Olicana from Burning Soul. I've done quite a few beers using English hops. And as uh, as you say, they're obviously uh, cousins to certain American hops, but with the climate here being so different, there's definitely uh, fruity flavors coming from them, but you're not getting like the huge tropical or citrusy flavors. It's more like uh, I don't know. It's like it's strawberries and cream at Wimbledon or something. <laughs> I think I think the way I 
I think about these these New English hops is, is is that the American ones you do get the big juicy tropical notes from them, but it's it's like it's fresh. It's it's absolutely fresh and it's crisp and it's bitter and it leaves that taste in your mouth. I, I think the English ones again because of the climate that they're grown in, it's it's like they've gone slightly overripe. In, yeah, in terms yeah, of their yeah. fruit profile, and and they've not got that freshness, but they've they've started to get a bit fleshy and a bit stone fruity, and they've lost that crisp bitter punch as a result. Um, and you know some people love that, and I, I actually because I I got myself a bottle of that, Rob, and I I tried that prior to recording. And I actually think that Briarbank have used those three hops really well because I don't think you get too much of that over-ripeness. No. I think you I, do get more of the crisp characteristics. I would say that, yeah, it works really well with, with the malt bill as well, that, that particular hop character with the, the sweetness of the malt. It, it is really quite pleasant to drink, and I think it would be lovely cask beer. I don't I, I literally think that is exclusively in bottles just yeah. for the bottle shop. They they Which don't even sell that. Yeah, they don't even sell that at the Briarbank Tap Room. Um, but to be fair, for a fairly small bottle shop that, that's based in a, a fairly small village, that the owner has gone through so much of this beer. They've brewed two batches of it now, and, and both of them have, have, have almost completely sold out. And, and oh. I think it's literally because the Wivenhoe Trowel is, is quite a famous walk in, 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 in Colchester. So you literally you walk from Wivenhoe and it takes you back into Colchester town centre. And, and I think it's one of those things where it might be that local people are buying it more for the name because of what's actually in the bottle, I, I think. But like I say, having, having had it, I, I quite enjoyed it as, as, as well. Yeah, thanks for sending that, Steve. I mean, it's something that I obviously wouldn't have had the opportunity to try without you. So, yeah, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a really nice beer. Well, well I'll, I'll look forward to the next rotation of this ne- next month to see who gets yeah. get, gets what. And because uh, I, I think I think we've we've all gone a bit careful this this first time round. Maybe I, I I can see us starting to ramp this up a little bit as um as as the podcasts go on. While we drink our way through the the first beer then, and this will be a a section that former listeners to Opinions will be familiar with. Beery Adventures is back because we still do things, we still go out and drink, and we still want to talk about those because they're the things that are going to create discussions about us. So, Rob, what have you been up to this month that you want to share with the listeners? Oh, well, I, th- I think you know, actually, Steve, because I came down to Essex for your 50th birthday. So you did? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I ca- <laughs> came down to, to Colchester. And it was actually my second time in Essex this year, which previously I don't think I'd ever even set foot in Essex. But, yeah, we uh, went to the Vic in Colchester, and it was just great to see so many... Um, faces that are recognized and then some people that i've met before and some that i haven't and there was an elusive tap takeover so that just adds to the whole experience and then it um, must have been nice to be invited rob to be it, fair yeah yeah it, it was lovely God. you're never gonna hey, let I, me live that down I, are you yeah and i was invited months ago as well rather than Shut as an afterthought. rob you're not helping me here <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful, Rob. Yeah, it's coming in a nice shiny golden envelope. Uh-huh. And since it was um, ended up being a long weekend, 
I had the opportunity to stay over an extra night as well and uh, had some drinks and, and a lot of food uh, with Clayton, uh, the creative director of the Beer O'Clock series. And um, a certain co-host of yours, Steve, as well, we bought some different gins and tonics along and uh, Matt Chinnery and James from the Essex Bottle Share. And it was a, a lovely day. I'm growing to be very fond of Essex. So, Mark, um, we've discussed that you weren't in Essex for one reason or another, but uh, what have you been up to recently on your beery adventures? Well, mostly a, a lot of cancelled events, to be honest. So I, w- I was hoping to come into today's beer adventures with uh, Smokefest behind me, the country's possibly world's only smoked beer festival um, a couple of weekends ago. But that was uh, initially cancelled due to the train strikes that were then cancelled because of the Queen's funeral. So... It was rearranged for the weekend after this podcast is going to go out, where there is now more train strikes, so it's been cancelled full-time. So all I can talk about is a cancelled event. But they um, did run and are going to run a Smokefest light event that features some of the special beers that were being brewed for that, two of which I helped make at Torside Brewery in New Mills, a brewery we've already mentioned once on this podcast. So that is where my beery adventure took place. And I have to say, smoked beer, still as good as ever. (laughs) Can you tell us uh, any more about the beers that you're involved in brewing? Yes, we made um, a triple-smoked ESB at 5.6% because what the world needs more of is smoked ESBs. And as it was a party gal thing, as most of Torstide's beers are, which is something that I keep thinking surely we'll see more of going forward, getting two brews out of one. Because, you know... Toss, I do it so successfully. I know I go on about them a lot, but I don't care. They're a fantastic brewery. Um, you know who most famously does the party gardening, don't you? Bullers. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's inc- because the, um, Toss, I do it with so many of their beers, and you can create so many different beers out of whether you're going for the, the stronger one in the first place or the weaker one in the first place, you will get, uh, uh, you know, a, a different beer out of the second runnings and you can often you can almost morph it into whatever you want so the runnings are if you if you've done a triple smoked esb you can make of that what you will and what what's our side of great at is creating styles that don't exist so for example this was a triple smoked red barley wine which <laughs> isn't a style but it is now um uh, and I was given the pleasure of naming them both, so I gave them both names after Taylor Swift lyrics. Of course. <laughs> and I wish I could talk about the day itself because mm. it, it was a sold-out event. It was 
as I say, for, for niche beer festivals, and we'll get on into the next part that beer festivals themselves are evolving, changing how people are kind of getting excited about them or, or whether they still are or whether beer lists are that exciting. Things like niche beer festivals like that existing is, I mean, it, 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 it should be so exciting when it's things like that, whether it's Abbeydale's Funk Dungeon Festival or the Cask Beer Festival, small one that I know happened down south for a bit, I don't know a great deal about it, or a, a festival of smoked beer and so much time and planning went into it. And it's just a shame that it didn't get to see the light of day. But um, the light festival where I got to try that beer, amongst many other smoked beers, um, and... Yeah, it was fantastic. And also, if you are listening to this podcast when it is released, you should come down to New Mills on the 8th of October for a light version of what would have been Smokefest, where there will be 15 smoked beers on, I believe. So, By, by any chance, both of yours as, as well? I'm not sure whether they will be in, uh, uh, offering keg, but they'll definitely be there in, in bottles to buy. So, Can, can I... Is, is this the first time you've brewed with Torside? And and if yeah. so, how has it taken this long? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because they wrote the spiel that's on the side of the bottle and they actually wrote it's a long... The actual spiel on the side of the bottle is it's a long overdue collaboration with Mark Johnson's. So at least they were thinking the same thing. I think everybody's talk, probably we, thinking the same thing, mate. We we did talk about it for Smokefest 2019. The timing didn't work, and then we said we'll definitely do it for Smokefest 2020. And obviously, there hasn't been a Smokefest since 2019. Smokefest 2020 didn't happen. 2021 didn't happen. All you know, COVID reasons. And so, at the next available opportunity, to be fair, they kept their word and said, right, let's do this. And then other reasons force it to be cancelled. So hopefully we'll brew a beer for 2023, but who knows. And I wouldn't be surprised whoever receives a beer from me for next month's show <laughs> receives <laughs> at least one of those beers, if not both, <laughs> to feature in the segment. But you'll never know who you got it from. So. <laughs> well, who could it be in this uh, triangle? I think next month you're sending to, to, to Rob, so I, I may have dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you have not tried the beers. And to be fair, John Clark, esteemed um, beer personality of the Northwest and beer writer John Clark, who is not a smoked beer fan, tasted the barley wine and looked at me as if I had that much to do with it, really. I was just <laughs> I, was, I was just there weighing out hops on the brew day, let's be oh, honest. But Mark, you are but, the king of smoke. <laughs> but he kept looking at me and said, this is the best barley wine I've ever tasted. This is the best barley wine I've ever tasted. I was like, let's not lay it on too thick, John. I mean, it, it's pretty good. but And he doesn't particularly like smoked beer. So burn the disco down by Torside and Mark Johnson. <laughs> The best barley wine you've ever tasted. You heard it here now. So, uh, Steve, what's, <laughs> what have you been up to recently? I think unless people listening have uh, have been hiding under a rock, um, you couldn't have helped but notice that I was in Bruges 
for the best part of a week. And uh, you've both told me that I'm not allowed to go on about it for, for too long. So I will ca- try and keep this quite succinct. Uh, so, yeah, em, em and I went to, to Bruce for my birthday and we had a lot of places that we wanted to go to. Uh, some of which were kind of old favourites of ours and some of which were new. So on, on arrival, first place we went to, as always, was the Gar, straight in on the 11% house triple. couple of those. We, we was as happy as, as, as Larry. You know, it's um, it's such a good beer. It, it really is. It's um, It belies its ABV as well. It really does. You, you wouldn't, you really don't know it's 11% while, while you're drinking it. I'll tell you what, it's a good job that Bruce is small because you pair had struggled starting off the day on that if it wasn't. <laughs> well, it was it was quite late in, in the first day when we got there. It was it was about four or five o'clock by the time we had sort of checked in and dropped our bags late. off and wandered into town. Late, <laughs> late. Yeah, we'd already missed four hours of drinking. So, so yeah, we, we hit the gar up uh, a couple of times. Um, and, and like I say, there, there were quite a few places that we wanted to go to that we hadn't visited before. And, and I, I will just give this a shout out. I know I've already done it on social media, but um, sort of friend of the show, Jezza, who um, does the Beer Guide London, also does a various number of other beer guides, one of those being Beer Guide Bruges. And his guide was really invaluable to our trip because it, it lists all of the best places um, that he, well, certainly that he's visited and reviewed and it, it gives it gives you just simple things like what days they're open, opening hours, those sorts of things, like stuff that you need to know so that you can you can plan a trip. That is very useful in Bruges because there are certain places that will just seem to close at random for no reason. Yeah, yeah because it's Wednesday or, or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So so yeah, we we, we started off our, our trip in Degar. On, on the first day and the first night we just hit up a few of the the the, the, the sort of like normal sort of places that ev- everybody would go to um and and then i think it was the second day we were there things went a bit awry uh, early on in the day so again we started off at degar shortly after they had opened so this is like 12 o'clock and we had we, we had one and and then we realized that they've just released a, a barrel aged version of the house triple as well, um, which was only available in bottles. So and they were 750 mil bottles. So we found ourselves <laughs> we, we found ourselves at sort of one o'clock in the afternoon sharing a 750 mil bottle of this barrel aged. I didn't realize it was a 750. Huge bottle. Um <laughs> and yeah, that day went rapidly downhill we had a lovely meal that night went to Cambernus for, for for a meal which is uh, a really nice restaurant and I, I really enjoyed they had like a, a brewer's menu which was three courses that had all been um, cooked with various beers as, as well so I'm, I, I made a point of ordering the beers to go with the courses as, as well fantastic and that bit I definitely saw looked oh, absolutely thanks. fantastic yeah I was really impressed by that Steve because <laughs> I honestly thought you'd just be a quick burger in the square yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a struggle for me eating abroad. It really is, I must admit, because um, not everything's beige. But that that menu, it felt like it was made for me. It, it really did. Um, and then we continued that evening on. Um, again, it was another of Jez's recommend- recommendations. A place called La Estaminet, and I'll probably butchered that. So uh, uh, apologies no for, for that. But it was um, it's basically a bar on 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 a square, and we went in and. 
we, we were just we, we got there about 10 in the evening i think and, and we, we both dived straight in on the straff hendrick quads oh, man. um such good stuff i think they had it on tap and Whoa. then as as the evening started to wear on the, the place had sort of a conservatory out the front of it they closed the doors off to the conservatory to sort of shut you into the bar and then about half hour late, they pulled the curtains across and I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. It's it's fun times uh, uh, ahead of us. And yeah, then Em and I just continued to drink quads until about two o'clock in the morning. And we eventually staggered back to our apartment. And basically Thursday was a write-off as, as a result because we were both just done. We- See, I, I didn't think there was such thing as a hangover in Belgium. I thought the beer was just too pure. Uh, it, I, I think it was just the um, it was the sheer volume of it, and yeah, uh, uh, we we tried to go out at about mid afternoon the following day, and we made it about four hundred meters down the road, and we had to go back and and have a little nap and have a little word of ourselves to try, try and sort things out. Um, but the the one the one last thing I, I, I want to mention is is that probably what was the highlight of of this trip for me was that we did the brewery tour, we did the half man brewery tour, and I've got to say. It's probably the best brewery tour that I've ever done because it's it, brilliant. It, it wasn't just a, it, it's not your typical brewery tour where here's your four ingredients. They go into here, this happens, and then they move into here. That they, they gave you that bit in the first five minutes. The rest of the tour was like uh, a living museum almost as, as you walk through various parts of the old brewery, you work your way up stairs, you go through sort of like, you know, the storage rooms and you end up on the roof, um, which has got some of the best views of, of Bruges city centre from the roof of the brewery. And then as you come back down, you actually come back down through a cool ship which they no longer use, which was in the roof. And the, the tour guide was explaining how they used to use it to, to call their pills that they used to make. And I, I found that really interesting because I was like, well, I've only ever associated cool ships with kind of um, spontaneous fermentation and wild beers and that sort of thing. So it's interesting that you that they never actually used it for that. But literally you walk down through the cool ship, you come back down past all the FVs that were all in the old part of the brewery. And then, and then you end up in the, in in the um bar where you get your free drink and it's not just any old free drink it's kind it's unfiltered versions of of their most famous beers so you can get unfiltered brujot zot on you can get unfiltered um straff triple which which we had and that and that was just delicious and for i think it was 16 euros per person so for 16 euros which isn't a lot of money we had what was one of the most interesting brewery tours i've ever done and a beer at the end of it. You couldn't really ask for more. Yeah, I, I did it in 2017, and I, it was definitely one of the highlights of the trip for me. And that view of Bruges at the top, that makes it that, – that that's great as it is, but then the just the – the whole history of the brewery, and obviously it's a, it's a, still a fat in the family. There's not so many of those types of businesses around these days. So yeah, really it's, cool. it's, it's still family owned, and it, it's quite interesting because you kind of look at it because they that they explain the lineage of how it's family owned, and then you look at the size of the brewery and also the volume of beer that they're pumping out, and and you can't help but kind of compare it to to the likes of somewhere like Adnams that's that's still family owned. It's still independent, but it's not necessarily 
a brewery that's shouted about because yeah. of who they are. Adams um, haven't got a pipeline though, have they? That takes no, and, and that's the other thing that I found fascinating was the uh, the beer pipeline that runs under Brews City from from the brewery to the um, bottling plant. Who would have thought that they literally dug up the whole of Brews to run a run a pipe from the brewery to the bottling plant? Uh, that's just, just amazing for you isn't it that's that's how important it is to the identity of the country not not just that but it was again just that different culture because i was like oh yeah it took us uh it took us about six months to get the planning permission and then it was built in three weeks and i was like sorry <laughs> how, how long did all that take because in the uk that would have taken years don't drink just, as much tea <laughs> as us do they there's no, not, just not as much paperwork yeah but no great great tour great trip really enjoyed it and uh hopefully people haven't fallen asleep too quickly with, with me recounting that but mm. tried tried to keep it brief lots lots of other fantastic places that we visited um but yeah two two recommendations do the half man tour also download the uh the beer guide app for bruges or, or just use the website because it's an amazing resource um, in, in terms of helping plan your trip. Right. Well, I'm just about ready for a, another beer. So at, at this point, we're just opening something of our own choice. Rob, what have you gone for? Um, I have got a can of, it's a Glasshouse beer, who are another Birmingham brewery. And this is their session pale. It's called Bringing Seshi Back, which is a, a fun name. And you can't really read that without thinking of the uh, Justin Timberlake song. But, uh, or Mason noise on the X Factor, yeah. and I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a session pile. It's three point five percent, and it's Citra Mosaic and Idaho Seven, and it is really just as you guess from the name. It's just a full on session beer. It's it's easy going, but there's plenty of flavour packed into that three point five percent. And I have to say that this one just tastes that little bit better because it was gifted to me by. Uh, Josh, who uh, is the founder of Glasshouse, because uh, I had a gig at the Independent Birmingham Festival, which is a big food and drink festival in Brum that happens every year. And I was um, on the stage opposite the Glasshouse stand. I was just there plugging my bass in. Next thing I know, a cam has been handed to me, and I just I really like to be given things for free. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not like Tony Stark who doesn't like to be handed things no just fucking loves it yeah just give him all yeah. the free shit just hand yeah. me everything yeah, yeah. definitely and, and I'll probably be that thankful that I will turn up and then buy a pint from you afterwards what about yourself Steve what have you gone for in this uh... I have gone for a beer that I was given as, as well but this was um, given to me for my birthday so this was from um, I guess he's probably listening to this Paul Donald at UNRCD. Um, it's a elusive brewing collab with Verdant. There's the, there's the worry in my uh, voice. Right, that's what, right. That is one that you wouldn't have bought for yourself. No, I mean, but it is one that I've kept meaning to buy. Okay. Haven't yet, so. so this is um it's a 6.8% West Coast IPA, and it's got Columbus, Chinook, and Simcoe in it, which which I'm happy with those three hops and then it's got talus as as well Ooh, so for those gorgeous, that know gorgeous hop talus is a relative of sabro um <laughs> and straight away i am picking up 
the coconutty tropical notes in 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 this and and that's um that's making it a little bit unbalanced for me because the, the other three are working well they're doing their west coast thing and then you've got this other flavor knocking around in it and that's the thing that's not really doing it for me uh it's, yeah it's not one that i would have bought myself but i'm i'm glad that i've given it a go I'm, and i'm grateful to paul for giving it to me well, what were the other hops in there again, Steve? Uh, Columbus, Chinook, and Simcoe. Oh, so the good old, the big C's. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got a feeling that that's not the first time that Elusive have done a collaboration West Coast that has used Talos. I might be wrong, but I, I think, think they may have done, yeah. I think they did, uh, they, they made a beer with Rock Leopard, and, and I really enjoyed that. And I didn't, and I didn't, me not knowing that Talos is like a cousin of Sabro. I don't remember picking up on any of those coconutty notes, which is something that I really don't enjoy in a pale ale. Uh, I, I, would say, I would say the first time I'd tell us was um, Siren's California IPA series, which uses different hops. Oh, yeah. They, they, they used, that was really nice they, beers, they did a actually. Tell us, and it was the first time that I'd won. It was just straight up single hop California IPA with Talus, and it was pink grapefruit. Nothing else, just pink grapefruit, really harsh, sharp pink grapefruit bitterness, and nothing else. And that is what I associate Talus with. I don't feel that it has any of those kind of like Sabro flavors for me personally. All I get is very sharp pink grapefruit from it. So it's it's very interesting that. Uh, but as as with all hops and with all flavors in the flavor spectrum across the world of food like people pick up very different flavors from uh certain individual ingredients so that, that's what i always get from it um, and, and you're more you're more likely to pick up on something that you, doesn't sit well with you aren't you so s- something that's highlighting a flavor that you're not a fan of you're going to pick that out of the other flavors um, yeah because uh, I, I i'm straight away one of the people from new england ipas who just picks up pure onion <laughs> Yeah, from, what, I, I, from I get whatever that. it I get is, that. and yeah. I, I can't I can't nail down exactly what that is, but I'm an absolute onion soup drinker of New England IPA. That's like, I love I love onion soup. I don't want it in my beer, and I'm one of those. And I don't know what specifically gives it that flavor, but I'm one of those people where other people are just like, oh my god, it's it's so tropical, it's so if, like umbongo, and it's like it's not it's fucking onion soup. So they normally look pick... like sludge as well if they taste like onion yeah. soup. So people pick up very individual flavors uh, from things. So this isn't us telling you you're wrong about Talus. Yeah. It's just saying that this is what we're, we're setting our stalls out very early about how we all pick up different flavors on things. A- absolutely. And everyone's going to taste something different, and that's okay. Is, is, yeah. Isn't it? That's that. That's that's fine. What yeah, What are you doing? Don't drinking? feel bad about yourselves, guys. Just enjoy your beer and taste what you taste. Yeah, but exactly you're, 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 you're wrong, Steve. Um, cheers, cheers, Mark. Thank you very much. What What is it that you're drinking? Well, I have um, actually. I I'm. I've not had this gifted to me. I bought it myself, uh, but I did save it for this opening show as a bit of a, a special taste. It is Brew York's Imperial Eagle. Oh, nice. Which I assume is the double version of Big Eagle, which I know is a favourite of Steve, uh, a favourite of myself as well. 
and in fact many of the iterations of eagle have all landed uh, that really sounds like a cheap joke which i wasn't trying to make <laughs> but it is it's absolutely true but i've not had this before and uh when i saw it um online i thought i'll purchase that and i'll save it for the opening show as a bit of a celebratory beer i don't have a lot of double ipas these days it's absolutely fantastic yeah, from what I what I can remember, I think I had that the last time it was released. I, I, I really enjoyed. I mean, you just held it up to your you, you nose yeah. there. The, the color on that, it's that really kind of deep amber color. Yeah. yeah, and it's got that. I mean, it's one of those where it smells sticky. Yeah, oh. as if yeah, really scent, like it real just like smells resiny tree sap oh. stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, you're making me really jealous now yeah. that I've yeah. got this thing yeah. that isn't oh. a West Coast IPA. And no, because yeah. I think I think I feel but, like a lot of beer drinkers recently. I, I would prefer a Big Eagle to an Imperial version of it, and um, a few people are feeling like that. About it goes back to a conversation we had off air, as it were, about Cannonball and in. Imperial Strand Cannonball and things like that. That most I was, uh, I, I was I was excited to try this on this show, but I was also prepared to just be really disappointed by it. But this was what we used to get excited about double IPAs yeah. for. This is this is yeah. a really terrific beer. So, and it is. It's just sticky. It's thick. But I, I suppose what's nice these days is I don't feel that when they are. This sticky and stick, you don't feel the need to drink them quickly or down them. It's just, it's just a really enjoyable beer at its at the right strength as well. So, so that's about nine percent, isn't it? That one. It is flat, flat nine. Yeah, yeah. flat nine. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I've, no. I've gone big for this, but you know, only a little bit jealous. Only yeah. a little bit jealous, mate. Just tiny. I'll tell you what, just for the um the benefit of the listeners, that beer looks gorgeous, doesn't it? Just. <laughs> Doesn't and I feel really unnatural using the word gorgeous, as I'm sure it. Oh, I just said it again. But <laughs> it, it does look absolutely gorgeous. Describes you as well, Rob. Oh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Before this loving goes too far, and and while we enjoy this beer, let's get on to what's going to be our main segment of this new podcast. Reverberation. Reverberation, reverberation, reverberation. It's reverberation. This is reverberations, and this is where we're going to be discussing something that's been bouncing around the beer community this month. And this month, Mr. Mark Johnson has got something that he wants to discuss. And it, we are going to be discussing something I didn't think a few months ago we would be discussing it at all, but Indie Man Bacon starts this very evening as we are recording. It isn't a beer festival that I thought the community was that interested in, or I thought maybe it'd fallen out of love of. I didn't think there was that much interest in it. My timeline, I don't know about you guys, but my timeline is only consumed by this festival. I'm going tomorrow. I'm going in (laughs) several hours after this. Unbeknownst to me until a couple of days ago, I am seeing Rob at the festival. I will be seeing Rob in 14 hours' time. Yeah, I've literally got to get up at at like 5.30 so I can get on the first bus to Birmingham to get the train to Manchester. So it's it's very close now. I I, I didn't think there was that much interest in this beer festival anymore. It turns out 
that people are more excited than I thought. And so it has become a topic of discussion. When Steve put this out there as potentially being a topic for the first show, I thought nobody's going to be bothered by Indieman. Apparently, everybody is bothered by Indieman. It's a festival. It's it's 10th, 11th year. And 2012 was its first year. So it's been going on for that long. It's one that I feel like every beer person across the country has been to at some point. There's a lot of thoughts on the festival, where it stands currently. I'm going to come to you, Rob, first, just because you're going. Mm-hmm. Why are Do you, you need going? to rub that in anymore? <laughs> that I'm not going to be there. Well, no, oh. because Rob is going, but I'm interested as to why. Um, well, to, to be honest, like, so I, I haven't been since 2016. In 2016, that was probably right at the height of my kind of like bear obsession where I just wanted to try everything. And Indie Man seemed to be the festival that everyone was talking about. And I think certainly there's a lot of appeal to it because of just the really special venue that it's at being in a Victorian swimming baths. Who doesn't want to drink double IPAs in a little glass in a swimming pool? But um, this year, to be honest, I, I wasn't even really planning on going. Like Normally, I probably would have tried to get the Saturday session. And I thought, oh, well, those tickets go within minutes normally. So I thought, that's ah, okay. I, I won't feel bad about not going. Then it turned out a load of people I know were going on the Friday afternoon, which twisted my arm. And then uh, a few of those people have had to drop out now, but I'm still really excited that there's going to be a fair number of people from around the country, Mr. Mark Johnson included, that I'm going to get to uh, hang out with for an afternoon in a, a pretty groovy venue. And... I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get the chance to try some some new beers. There's at least a couple of breweries that I've not even heard of that are going to be there. So yeah, it's it's gonna be a chilled and just a a good opportunity to socialize in in a festival again, because we've had two years without them. Yeah. And before we get into the reasons why people are not going through cancellations. Steve, you were not going anyway, besides problems with your calendar. What what was the, your thought behind not going this year? Purely problems with the calendar, um, <laughs> be, because because it, it fell on what is a weekend where I've I've got my lads. I I couldn't couldn't go to a beer festival in Manchester. It was uh, a simple case of logistics. Uh, otherwise, I I more than likely would have been there and. Knowing how I've I've treated that particular festival in the past, I probably would have been on a full fat ticket this this weekend as as well, and trying to do as as many sessions as as, as possible. Um, so yeah, it's going to be. I, I'm I'm not going to lie, it's going to be a tough weekend for me seeing everybody having an amazing time at Victoria Baths. Me and Mark, the fish mosaic. You, you, you two in Cas- front of that fish mosaic. Yeah. Now, Cask now, Sierra Nevada. 
now, now this podcast is out there and and people are have heard it and they've seen our branding as well the whole fish mosaic thing just <laughs> takes on a whole yeah. new life of its own well on, uh, be, before i get to that though um because that's a good point because i'm from near manchester so indie man to me is my local craft beer festival if you if you want to call it that you know what what people have uh, what was it um birmingham square birmingham cube something yeah one in the past you know i never even actually went to that but but birmingham as a city has really just struggled to have an event that that lasted they've got the beer central thing now which is from the people who do like the london craft beer festival and bristol uh, edinburgh various other ones but yeah we We've, uh, we've struggled to have a festival that has um, just had the longevity of Indie Man Beercon. I don't think there <laughs> there is a festival to rival how long Indie Man's been running. It's, uh, apart from the Great British Beer Festival, which is yeah. a completely different yeah. type of beer festival, I, I don't think there's... I hate to use the word. I don't think there's a craft beer festival that's that's run for continuously as long as Indie Man has? Well, that, I mean, I suppose, that, I mean, that was the point I was getting to, is that as a as somebody who could technically get a, a you know, a relatively expensive, but still a taxi from to to and from the festival without too much bother, um, I, I, I do, so therefore I never miss an Indie Man, but I do, so for an outsider, perspective of what what is the appeal to indie man above other craft beer festivals or, or any beer festivals forget the word craft any beer festivals that makes it worth everyone just going this is the one festival i want because i sometimes i don't almost get that because it's like i probably just go anyway because it's relatively geographically yeah. close so so what 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 makes indie man more um... special than the other ones that for you guys that live many more miles away than I do. I would I would say for me, certainly the longevity, and it's kind of got this reputation, but I think a huge part of it is just the location. That uh, I might be wrong here, but has it always been at the, the Victorian back? Always, always. Yeah. So that for me, that that's a huge part of it. It's just uh it's just a it's a very, uh, it's a very colourful place, isn't it? So you can, you've been to enough beer festivals that are in a town hall or an abandoned warehouse or something, and they just, they don't have the same appeal as just all that. Just, uh, well, dead. How many fish mosaics are there? About three. <laughs> Quite and, a few knocking around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. What about, about you, Steve? Go on. I, I think it's the. Um, as Rob said, it's the location. You, you know, I think he said it hurt earlier. Who, who doesn't want to be standing in an empty swimming pool with a tiny glass of an amazing beer in, in, in your hand? Who doesn't want that? And to be surrounded by um, people that are experiencing that same thing as you. But I, I think over the, over the years, it's almost, it's begun to grow to somewhat of a cult status, hasn't it? Because I, I think it's, I, I often hear it referred to as the Glastonbury of beer festivals, <laughs> because it's it's the one that everybody wants to be seen at, or that everybody wants to go to. I thought you were going to say, because it's full of middle-class white people. <laughs> no, I wasn't, mm. wasn't going to go there, but I, I think also... Bit, That's and, belonging, though. And, <laughs> 
it's it's all about belonging um but yeah because and and tickets are difficult to get hold of i think i think you said it rob when when you yeah. were talking about you you purposely avoided the saturday saturday daytime because you it's that like, saturday afternoon session goes in minutes that doesn't mm-hmm. it because that's yeah. the session that everybody wants to be at yeah. and and i remember my my early indie mans that again that was the session where i got to catch up with everybody that i had met on twitter and it was where you put names to faces and i I think it's it probably still is the it's maybe that one and and then possibly the leeds international festival where i would happily travel to go to those and do more than one session of i think there was the last time i did indie man i did it as a day session i did it as the saturday afternoon session and i went with clayton we traveled up in the morning we Mm. walked to the baths we queued we went in we did the four hours we went back to the station we got on the train we went home i hated every minute of that because every indie man prior to that i had done the Friday night, the Saturday afternoon, the Saturday night, the Sunday session. And it just didn't feel like an indie man experience for me uh, because I think every session has a different feel to it as, as well. And I just think it's completely unique in terms of a beer festival in the UK right now. I, I really don't think there's anything to rival it. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just so excited about this now, especially since I didn't originally plan to go. But I'd say 2016, I pro- I recognised a lot of people around from Twitter, but I, at that stage in my life, I probably just hadn't engaged with people as much. So now this time it's going to be completely different. There's probably one person I would have actually spoken to last time, whereas now it's just going to be so nice just to see these familiar places and just have a chat and share a beer and have a cuddle with Mark under the, the mosaic of the fish. The fish mosaic thing <laughs> is, is I've, I've got, I've got to ask this because you're, Mark, you're in front of me. You're no longer a guest on a podcast. You are now a co-host of, uh, of a podcast. And I need to understand the history and the significance of the fish mosaic, because let, let's put this out there. First of all, the fish mosaic isn't a fish mosaic, it's a stained glass window. The actual fish mosaic is on the floor, is, isn't yeah. it? Just, just in front of the window. But Mark, how did that become, how did you make that become a thing? There is no way of answering that by <laughs> just <laughs> without sounding really pretentious because sometimes when you're a blogger, you don't realize that people care that much. So in 2016, just before Indie Man 2016, so that would have been the fifth Indie Man, I wrote a, a blog post, just one of those silly ones. I'm not out very quickly that was i call the do's and don'ts of indie man and the the main reason was i was trying to (laughs) um as as somebody who'd been to every indie man at that point was trying to uh talk about the things that annoy me when i'm there basically in in a friendly way so it was called the do's and don'ts of indie man and basically the don'ts were the things that people should have been paying attention to don't do this i don't like the do this things like seat hogging you know not exploring the building you know, people people that go in and just find a seat straight away don't get to explore the whole victoria baths because they stay in one room so that you know we, we like to hog seats from everybody else 
Oh, annoying. Anyway, so I'll put this post out there. Anyway, whilst I was looking for pictures of this post, because I'd been for four years previously, and I was looking through all my pictures from previous years, and every single one of them, without me even realising, featured this stained glass window of a fish that I just looked at. I was like, oh, some kind of like weird fish mosaic thing. And clearly, every time I was a bit tipsy when I was there, I must have just walked past this fish and gone, oh, that's quite nice. I'm going to take a picture of it. And then you never do anything with that picture. So whenever I was looking for pictures of the festival, there was just this fucking fish there. So in the middle of that blog post, I just put, do, as one of the do's, do take a picture of this. And it was a throwaway comment at the time. Do take a picture of this fish mosaic when you walk past it, because apparently I do every year. Yeah, that is just the power you have. And that blog post took off to fucking fuck. And that year, I was just inundated with people taking <laughs> selfies. Bearing in mind that I'd never taken a selfie in front of it. All I'd done is ever taken a picture of the actual window itself. And people just taking selfies in front of it going, is this good enough, Mark Johnson? Hashtag fish mosaic. <laughs> I think I may have been one of those people as well. And it was, abs- yeah. it was glo- because do you know what? It was, um, there's so little things that are just people just having a laugh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Even a lot of the things that I put in that blog post were me moaning about don't stand in the bloody queue, go and get a bloody drink and get out of my bloody way. It was re- pretty much written in that tone. <laughs> but the fact that people took from it, just like, let's just have a laugh and take a picture in front of this yeah. stupid uh, thing. And I mean- it became a thing. And I gathered all the pictures from there, and there were like hunger. And even looking back now, I was I was only looking back not the other day. It was a a few months ago. If you put fish mosaic into Twitter, you, it will just come up with people in demand there. And there were people like um, uh, Sophie, so beer blogger, who I, I hadn't met at the time, and I, I, I didn't even notice the picture just taking a selfie her and josh in front of it um a few indie mans ago you know people that i didn't know now that i consider friends that i know but i was just like i didn't even know you at the time that you were taking that kind of it was just i'm glad that it became a a positive experience amongst beer people you're not going to be able to get near that thing this weekend you know that don't you this is the, Mark Johnson. Mark the, Johnson. The, the, the very it. funny, the funny story is the, the very. I'm going to act as his security. Last year we went, 2019. We actually tried to get a, me and my partner kept walking past it, trying to get a picture, and there was just always groups of people taking pictures in front of it. You see what um, you've created. Look what you've done. Look so, what you've done. And even I was just like. It's not even a fucking mosaic. It's a stained glass <laughs> window. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah. so that's where that came from. I, I think that I'm going to lay down a red carpet for you to walk towards it tomorrow. So, well, I'm interested to go back to the festival itself then, Rob. What do you think of the... Have you looked at the beer list and what do you think of it? You, me, I'm not one for doing a lot of research before a beer festival. I kind of just like to turn up and experience it. But I'm like the main ones that I do know about are the different variations of Sierra Nevada. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Shame for a 
a certain individual oh, who is oh, a fanboy of Sierra Nevada <laughs> who uh, decided not to go to the festival this year. No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't decide not to go. Circumstances stopped me from going. I mean, you did you know about it ages ago. You and your bloody calendar. Your, your sons, they're, the, they're old the, enough the to, calendar to swap is, around, The calendar is preset. No. Your children it's, it's, just not love you enough to let you just change it around for once. Well, Rob, Rob and Steve, you both know people that were planning to go who mm-hmm. can't now because of the train strikes yeah. and cancellations. I've already talked about how that affected Smokefest. I mean, personally, I've got all my support is behind the train strikes themselves. Yeah, solidarity. Um, absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to... I don't want to sit here and talk about the um, impact that it's having on beer festivals per se in terms of like finance. But what 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 what, what do we think about the train strikes? Um, it is. A, it's just a shame, in, isn't it? The way it's fallen, really. I mean, Indiman obviously hasn't had a festival since 2019, so this is kind of like oh, it's it's just it's refreshing. It's kind of. Um, a symbol of life kind of being back to not normal, but it's, I don't know, we're just living our lives again, aren't we now, rather than being everything's determined by COVID. But, um, yeah, it's a shame the way it's fallen, and especially I think a lot of people coming up from London way have been have been affected by the trains more so I think myself, it's just that one train line on. on, Well, the Saturday's going to be worse, isn't it? Because there's the strikes then. Yeah, I I think it's. I think it's unfortunate from the point of view that you you can look at it two ways. In in, in, as far as the festival already sold the tickets, and once you've bought a ticket, that's your ticket. And I don't think you can resell to the festival, but you've got an opportunity to sell on to anybody else going to the festival. Mm -hmm. So. Indie Man as the festival will, will not suffer as a result of ticket sales as a result of this. What they will suffer on is the, the token sales, the merch sales, the secondary spend at the food stalls that would a percentage would go to the organisers. That That's where they're going to be hit. I, I think those that end up getting to go are, are going to benefit from the fact that it's going to probably be a slightly emptier venue and that's it's not going to be as, as, as crowded as, as, it, as, it, as it was going to be. But I think, unfortunately, that the, the the secondary spend isn't going to be there for for them, and I don't think that will affect them doing it again next year. And and it's an unfortunate situation, but as as, as you say, it is it is what it is, and let let's hope that there's a resolution soon. So that because I, I don't imagine it's just beer festivals that are being hit by this at the moment. There there are events up and down the country that that in in all walks of life that people are probably trying to get to. Yeah that they they can't so yeah let's let's hope for a, a, a quick resolution to this and, and and somewhat of a return to normality well going back to what i was saying about Smokefest earlier is that they cancelled because of the train strikes at first rearranged and then there was more train strikes on the rearranged weekends and they cancelled and their reason was um we can't put on with the number, the reduced numbers, the, the experience that we would want to put on, so everybody gets offered a refund, and they're also in full so- solidarity of the strikes, and I think that's the right, yeah, st- absolutely the yeah. right stance to take. When I first heard it, when they first cancelled it, I was like, 
I mean, really, guys, you know, we can get buses, taxis, we'll just fucking get there. Easy enough for you Look, to say, though, isn't it, it from a, being more local? Absolutely selfish yeah. point of view. Absolutely selfish point of view. They were obviously thinking of it from everybody that had bought tickets and stuff, so their thing straight away was full refund for anybody and also and also we'll, we'll put on a smaller event that's free to anybody that can attend who yeah. had already bought like accommodation or whatever in the area is absolutely the right way to go about things so i don't know what indie man are doing but i would like to i'd like to think that they may be offering something similar i don't know and also if you're listening to this and you know that they've done something like that that's brilliant we're not criticizing anything they've done just saying i hope that's has been the case because you know it's absolutely the right thing to do because again full solidarity with the train strikes it's not their fault it's this fucking government well yeah let's let's just hope every gets everybody gets the resolution that that, that they want and you, you know for those that are going to indie man i do sincerely hope you enjoy yourself you too especially um Saying that through gritted teeth, <laughs> I, I am, I am, I'm guided. Though. I mean, the thing is, as as it, you know, as as it's played out, even if I had have been able to have gone because of the the strikes, I wouldn't have been able to have gone. So, either way, I've ended up missing it this year. But I'm I'm, I'm hoping to make a triumphant return next year. Anyway, by the time you've listened to this show, me and Rob will have been to Indie Man. Steve will have not. We would love to hear your opinions on your experience of Indie Man. Whether good or bad, whether you went or not, please use the hashtag #BeerLonging, and we will find you there. Not that I am at all gutted that I'm not going to be there, but as I say, gentlemen, I hope you have a wonderful time, and I do hope you enjoy yourself. And I look forward to seeing all of your tweets and social media about what's going on at the festival. Now, on each episode of Belonging, we are going to be featuring a guest. Uh, where we'll chat to somebody who's been making their own reverberations in the beer world. This month, we're really pleased to feature the newly appointed Managing Director of Elusive Brewing, Ruth Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Ruth. It's great to have you along. And first of all, congratulations on your new role of Elusive. You're now the Managing Director. Well done. Thank you very much. Uh, how did that come about? <laughs> I'm going, going straight oh, in. How, how did honestly, that one come I have, about? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> that's not quite true. Um, Andy and I have been talking about it uh, a little while, about how we can kind of balance our roles um, and how we can give him more time to focus on on brewing and the stuff that he sort of really loves to do. Um, and according to him, this is a very natural progression and a very sensible move um, for a weekend. So I reckon <laughs> we might have to wait and see a little bit. But... Um, it's a bit kind of scary, but I've also really, um, really appreciate his trust in me. Well, like, like you say, you're only a week in, but you've you've been with Elusive for eighteen months now, is it? Yeah, officially, officially eighteen months. Um, some people will know kind of the story of how I kind of started working there, and some won't. Um, but over lockdown, I was um, furloughed from my role at Utopian. Um, I kind of sat at home feeling a bit sad and not know what to do. Um, Andy had furloughed, who's our brewer, um, and I saw a sort of a tweet saying, just got home at 10 o'clock at night after doing local deliveries. And I messaged him like, what are you doing? Like, you've got work to do. Please just let me, please let me leave the house and come and come and help you. Um, so I started off over lockdown just, just as a way to kind of get out and 
see people who aren't my other house, um, doing a bit of brewing and a bit of bottling um, and some canning, and then um, started working in the tap room a little bit. Um, and then when it kind of got to the great unlocking, um, I didn't really want to leave. So I didn't. Um, and apparently Andy's happy with that. Well, just so, so happy that, that he's now promoted you to, to, yes. to actually run the, the, the business. So in, in terms of you stepping up to, to, to now take over the business and you say that that's allowing Andy to go back and do what he really loves, which is the, the, the brewing side of things. Does, does that mean you're essentially taking over everything else? I mean, we still we're still a really small business. I mean, we're we're sort of four full time employees. Um, so I don't think, to be honest, on a day to day basis, initially, I don't think a huge amount is going to change. Um, I think it does give Andy a bit more freedom to go off and kind of um, in, enjoy this amazing thing that he's he's made because it kind of it allows him to do that and to work more on recipe development and on our um, our quality control and that kind of thing that's really important to him. Um, and it means, as I say, basis, I guess I've got the, the responsibility, but also the freedom to steer the business, I guess, as I see fit. Um, I think we're really lucky that Andy and I see eye to eye on most things in in that way. So um, we're still working really closely together. He's promised not just to leave. That was my main, that was my main concern. To redesign Oregon Trail yourself. No, no way. Not changing it a bit. The new role, um, it's a big step. To, yep. to, to take on the running of a business. What does it mean to you personally to, to now have that opportunity to, to, to run this business that is so well thought of in, in, in the beer community? What, 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 is it, what does it mean to you to, to be doing this now? I mean, I'm a bit, I've said this to a few people, I'm a bit overwhelmed, to be honest. Um, I view it as an amazing compliment, but also this kind of huge responsibility that Andy and and the rest of the team and, and me to a certain extent we've kind of built this thing that is is so well regarded and is so loved. Um and I feel like I've really got to look after it. Um it is something to, to me it feels like something really special. And it's I think it's interesting working in working in beer that it, it doesn't feel like working for other companies, like there's a real kind of love of the thing and a love of elusive um and what we do so um i feel a huge responsibility for that and also like a great opportunity that we're doing we're doing some amazing things and i want to kind of keep keep driving that forward and and give andy the the freedom from the beer perspective to keep doing that is he makes amazing beer and it feels part of like the end of a journey as well because i mean especially people that have been listening to steve's podcast for years but we kind of like know your Jenny, throughout your career in some ways, because you're always on his bloody podcast, but <laughs> you know, in the best way. Um, and so, you know, rather than just taking on the same role at another place, it feels like this has been building up to something that I, I, I want to say personally, but obviously you deserve at the end of it that, you, you know, it's not just another sales role. It's actually a, a progression of all your skill sets into, into one place at last. So. Yeah, thank you. That's that's really kind of you to say. And, and yeah, it does feel like a. Um, I, f- I feel really at, at home. Um, listeners to any of Steve's variants of the podcast will kind of, <laughs> it feels like a, a digital CV archive that he's kept for me. Um, this this does feel like a, yeah, it it feels like home in in many different ways. So I feel I feel really lucky. Actually, it's the main thing. <laughs> 
In in terms of um, elusive and the fact that I use, I always say their products are just making uh, my favorite styles repeatedly. Is what Andy seems to do. What what do you think of the portfolio and how much say have you had on some of the beers that have been created maybe in the last eighteen months? Um, so overall, the portfolio is is kind of right up my drinking street. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of beer flavored beer. Um, so I like West Coast. I like bitterness. Um, I like kind of. I know Steve said before about sort of the nostalgia around Oregon Trail, but one of the things I really love about that beer is it. It just reminds me of the things that when I started kind of moving away from kind of four percent yellow cask beer and into sort of this sort of slightly more. Um, I guess exciting land then Oregon has got a real kind of resonance uh, with that time for me um I like that we have a bit of fun um so we do some flavored things as well um some of those I've had some input into um some of the collabs I have as well um but overall I like that we I don't think it's necessary for a brewery to try and make all styles to sort of make all people happy all the time um we're great at west coast we're great black IPAs I think we're great at stouts um and we get to play around and have fun and sort of stray outside that lane whenever we want to no one's telling us that that we can't um but I think that's something that I really want us to be known for because as far as I'm concerned we're, we're great at doing those things um you, you mentioned about just having fun with with beers as well and playing with some different flavors um elusive we, we were discussing among amongst ourselves before we spoke to you just about Elusive Aura Brewery that do a lot of collaborations. Would you say that's a big part of the, um, the experimentation side of things? And are there uh, big plans for more collaboration um, in the future, especially with Collabageddon coming up quite soon? Yeah, so, um, so Andy's always been very collaborative. I mean, he was brewing collabs for people before Elusive started. Um, and Lord Nelson, which is one of our kind of regular beers, starts off as collab. Um, I think that's really important for us is, as a brewery, we're, we're very friendly <laughs> in, a, in a not weird way, um, hopefully. And so that opportunity to kind of get out and see other people is wonderful. And also the opportunity, firstly, to have other brewers we respect and brew with us is, is wonderful. Um, but I also like that Andy's very open to having you know, home brewers and smaller breweries come and see us. I think he he values and I certainly value sort of the, the step ups that we've been have been given and it's really important to kind of pass those on to the next generation of, of breweries coming through um in terms of collabs coming up um, i haven't got any firm details of non-collabageddon collaborations and um, our two collabs for collabageddon this year are really exciting so we're going to go and brew with heist and we're going to brew a mango and tamarind kettle sour with them um, and then we've got smallest brewery in the club again lineup this year uh, coming to brew with us. So Dan from Radio City Beer Works, who is based in Chelmsford, is going to come and hang out with us. And we're going to brew a white stout with uh, almond and vanilla, kind of vaguely um, inspired by the white Ferrero Rochers. A lot of the clubs are also very West Coast inspired, aren't they? I, I guess everyone wants to come and come and brew with the king of the West Coast. Yeah, lots of West Coast, lots of uh, lots of black IPAs, lots of red IPAs. Um, yeah, I'm fine uh, with it. I'm fine I think, with it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also a, a great compliment to Andy. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, just all the styles that we certainly us three in, in this chat room want to drink. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
two, two of the collabs that really stand out that I want to ask you about is is the, the one where you have the uh that the guys come down dressed up as Santa in, in oh, the, the middle of the summer. Yes. What, what's that about? And and <laughs> how did you come across that lot? Um, and, and then the second one was the, the one that you did this year for International Women's Day, because you had you had a huge group of women come down through that, didn't you, as well? So I'd, I'd like to hear a, a bit more about those two collabs in particular. Yeah, of course. Um, so the, the Santa's one, um, if anyone hasn't seen the pictures, I recommend heading across to our Instagram and uh, looking at the absolute madness that seems to happen to us. Um, so the Santa's, we brew a beer each year with um, a local charity group called the Burfield Santas and they run um, the charity beer festival each September and they run a pub for their village in December um, and so we brew a different beer for that each year we tend to brew it twice so once when they come and do the brew day in kind of June July and then we've actually got the next batch of it in tank which is ready for beer fest um, end of September um, but when they come and brew they like to they like to come, they like to dress up and we do we do Christmas. So this year we wore Christmas jumpers and I made mince pies, which uh, funny mince meat in June is really quite tricky um, if anyone's ever tried. Um, but they're really lovely and they're also, firstly as a charity expert, which is really lovely, but they're also very supportive of us as a business. So it's nice to us to do something kind of personally nice for them as well. Um, and, and yeah, what about the um, the International Women's Day collaboration? Yeah, that was that was really good fun. So that um, came out of a conversation with Joe Neal, who is um, part of the team who run the Malt Miller. Um, so the Malt Miller is a, um, a homebrew supply um, kind of wholesaler, I guess. And they also import some beers and they sell um, everything that you would, could ever need if you want to make your own beer at home and your own spirits at home. And they're, they're really good um, supporters of us. Um, they're a great customer. We buy some things from them as well. Um, and I spoke to Joe um, a couple of months before, yeah, it's probably like the end of last year when we were chatting about this National Women's Day and she wanted to do something to try to tie home brewing and International Women's Day together. Because I think it's this kind of view that home brewing is a very kind of male dominated hobby. Um, and so we wanted to do something that kind of opened that up and showed that you didn't have to, um, you don't have to be a guy to get into it. There are some amazing female home brewers out there. Um, and really sort of to open that up. Um, so we did two versions of the same beer. The beer is called Multiplayer. Um, and we kind of came up with the recipe a little bit between myself and Joe and also Hayley, who works at Siren. Um, so Hayley used to work for Fillers. Um, and so had kind of a lot of um, knowledge of their archive, which was very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to brew uh, an ESB, but we wanted to brew it with some American hops. So that kind of played into what Hayley was sort of like her kind of history and beer plays into elusive and what we like to do um and then joe is uh, gluten intolerant so we wanted to make it gluten free as well uh, which we did um and then on the day we brewed one version on our big kit and we invited some home brewers and they come and brewed the same beer on our grandfather kits and then at launch we had them both side by side yeah it was a, it was a really lovely and very kind of um really interesting and really kind of inclusive lovely warm day yeah. yeah, it's a it's very interesting that you mentioned about the the gluten free aspect as well. I was going to say that that really does add to the inclusivity, because um, making sure everyone can enjoy the beer. Because there's there's a lot more people than you would actually think that do have a gluten intolerance. Yeah, and that was really important too. So we wanted to have something that had sort of a, a really wide appeal. Um, we deliberately sort of 
strayed away from anything that was kind of typically girly. Um, so no pink beer, nothing flavoured with chocolate or rose petals or anything like that. But also that's not the kind of beer that I like to drink. It's not the kind of beer that Hayley likes to drink or to brew. Um, and we wanted to sort of have that kind of real, um, kind of like a real beer that could be appreciated by lots of different people. Um, also a little bit of sort of a historical throwback to um, the fact that if you go back a couple hundred years and actually it was the women doing the brewing rather than the men's having a more traditional style was so the um the SP made a lot of sense and then the gluten free aspect as well. Another thing I noticed, Ruth, was the enormity actually of the announcement from Elusive, the uh congratulatory messages from important women in beer or well just any any women in in general. There's um and the it was it was a celebration for every everybody in that in that situation and the fact that it should it shouldn't feel like an enormous moment it shouldn't but it was obviously celebrated by a a, a minority who don't get to have these moments enough in beer do, do you feel that when this happened to you do, you do you actually obviously you just want to be happy with something happening that's good to you happen happen in your life but when you see the messages do you feel the weight of it actually being a good moment or do you just think well this should fucking happen more often anyway oh just both of those things really (laughs) oh that's a really difficult question thank you (laughs) um that it's really interesting that's kind of like the way that you saw it i mean i my view is that i got loads of congratulation messages from from lots of different people um some that i've known for a really long time who've kind of um helped me on my beer journey and put up with me when I've been a bit of a dick um some that I've met more recently um and all those messages were were really sort of kind and said a little bit overwhelming um I don't think I'm kind of flying the flag for women in leadership in the beer industry um but that's mainly because I really don't think that we should have to have that flag at all um it's one of my big frustrations that you go to kind of conferences and talks and different things and you have like a panel of like women sitting there talking about being a woman in the beer industry so yeah yeah, well it's like and it's just and I completely get where it's coming from it's coming from such a good place of people wanting to talk more about women's experiences which is fantastic um but I just don't want it to happen I, I just want us to there shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be about whether you're male or female or anything else or where you come from, what you look like. It's just be whether you're good at your job or not. Um, and that's the bit I really want us to kind of, as an industry, to work towards. Um, so like being seen as sort of, it's great that a woman's been given that promotion on the one hand is really lovely, but on the other hand is just... Should just kind be of, the normal. It, it, it kind yeah. of feels really sad that um, of all the things I've achieved in my career the fact that I'm a woman is the thing that people notice surely that's that in itself is a bit shit to be honest it just shows how long we've got to go but also yeah. you know the, the positivity from it from some of those comments at least you know is shows progression and it, it, I, I always feel when I see those comments it's just people basically just saying a f you to the patriarchy at any opportunity which is absolutely fine as well so no I go go that and, and obviously I, I appreciate any any comment that people said was was wonderful to receive um there are, are far more interesting things about any of us than our gender 
And, and I guess from your point of view, Ruth, as being someone in the industry, un, unlike the three of us who are, at the end of the day, just consumers, is, is it getting better from inside the industry? I think it's got different, is my main view. And I want to say that it's, it's staggeringly better. Um, I think lockdown's had a, like, a weird effect that actually for a lot of people, lockdown was great, like not going to beer festivals, but catching up with people on the internet where no one can grab you or, and squeeze you or <laughs> ask if you're sure you want a pint. Um, actually, having that kind of that freedom was really, for me personally, was really lovely. I know that some is echoed by other people. Um, honestly, I don't think that much has changed. I think that people's tolerances for things have changed and Thankfully, um, there's now more people kind of seeing stuff that they don't think is right and calling it out. Um, but that's a really difficult thing to do, especially if you're the person that something is, has happened to. You're having someone in a shitty situation and then they're also being asked to be the ones to be really brave and stand up and tell the story. And that's, that's just kind of piling on the, the pressure to that person. It's, it feels like all the work is being done by the wrong people. Mm -hmm. so you've got the people having like the bad stuff happen and they're also being the ones sort of tasked with fixing it and um, I think clearly um, all the work that kind of Brian Allen's done and Charlotte Cook and amazing people out there on the internet sharing sharing stories and Siobhan um, driving people's awareness that is fantastic and that is a real step forward that at least these things are out there now but what seems to happen, um, certainly from my perspective, is something something really bad happens. So someone gets raped or someone gets murdered um, and the world and the beer industry and everyone else gets up in arms and it's terrible. Um, and everyone tweets how awful it is. Um, and you retweet the people and you send them DM saying, oh, like, you're being so brave. Um, and then after a couple of weeks, it just all goes away. Um, where actually there are little tiny things that are happening that are really awful and they happen all the time because it's not like a big thing. Um, and it just feels like actually these things happen. And it's not just in beer, it's in, it is in wide society. Like these terrible things happen. Everyone's very sad. Everyone's very angry. It leaves the press. It leaves your Twitter stream. And suddenly it's like, oh, cool. Well, that's, that's gone away. Um, and it's quite hard to, and, and then it feels if you're raising an issue, you're kind of raising it out of nowhere. And then there seems like this backlash of, oh, why are all these women so angry all the time? <laughs> like, but it's because this, like, this stuff doesn't stop happening. Like, it just is it's constant. Yeah. If, if anything, um, when, for example, uh, a woman does rise, just bring to the attention of how bad things are and things that are happening, it also brings a lot of just, absolute arseholes out of just their hiding place they just come out and it kind of makes it obvious just how much of a problem there still is in terms of just general misogyny and not all men and all that bollocks um so it kind of makes us all realize how much more as men we need to do to just stop this shit from happening <laughs> because you're just just ignoring it but that's something i've said i've said before i don't it's that it, when I say I don't mean it in a horrible way, but like I'm talking to three white men, this is gee, this is your problem. Yeah, we can't yeah. hide away from like that. This, like this is your. I'm not saying that it's you guys doing it, but it is your problem to fix. Mm -hmm. And anyone who sits there and says, "Oh, I don't know anyone who behaves like that," well, sorry, 
either you're stupid or you're lying, or no, you just don't. We don't care enough. That's an embarrassing cop out, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think it's it is difficult, like seeing, especially like it's particularly difficult in the beer industry because we have to add alcohol into the equation. Um, but being drunk isn't an excuse of being an ass, as far as I'm concerned. No. Um, but it is really uncomfortable, like calling people out, whether it's on, in person or online, it, it is really difficult and it is really uncomfortable and it's not a nice thing to do. Um, equally, someone grabbing your ass that you don't know or asking for a hug when you've known them for 20 minutes or not serving you or not talking to you or talking down to you, all those things are pretty shit as well. Um, so maybe if more men kind of did their bit of like the work, that would that would really help. I think for a long time, people have thought that the people doing this stuff are older, richer, more powerful, more senior. And there's kind of been this view as, oh, don't worry, they'll die out soon. Um, and we've been running with that as a, as a theory of how to improve things for, what, 5, 10, 20 years. Um, and it is, it is not working. It's, a, just because I was older doesn't mean they get don't get to change um but be the main thing is all that's happening is younger people coming into the industry are seeing how people behave and people who are in senior positions and people they look up to and people like they look at them and go, i want to be like that one day and they see how those people behave and they see that no one calls them on it and no one says that is inappropriate or do not do that and they go cool well that's clearly absolutely fine and then you get younger people doing it and the whole theory is is proved to be complete rubbish and that older person thing is because you, and that's thing as well is say so, well sometimes it's about growing up it's not it isn't about growing up because that just means that you're just accepting that it's it's all right they're um a misogynist but they're only 24 so it's okay well not no because you know not only because they're in our spaces but they're in our society in general. It needs to stamping out much earlier than that. They need, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna grow out of it just because they're twenty four. I don't care. They're in our spaces, so. But also, it doesn't have to be about having a go at people or shouting at them or, or saying it. And it can, I think, often. And this is why I do think it is so much sort of a responsibility in the main of the men in the industry and people who men enjoy beer, is that it's very difficult for me to talk to someone without any emotion. Um, and it's very difficult for me to try and say, you've, you've just behaved really poorly towards me, but now I'm going to be all nice. So I try to explain it. And so I think like having a go at people is, is not the right way. It's really difficult to do. <laughs> Partic- particularly if you are emotionally invested in it. But I think that kind of that on the level, like small steps chat is what's going to do it. Yeah. Those sort of moments that you look back and do, do feel embarrassed about it's the sort of thing that maybe if at the time someone who's a friend or someone you respected or just pulled you aside and said that's not okay then you'd you'd stop and think wouldn't you and you wouldn't do it again and there's not enough of that going on but that looking back and seeing that it wasn't okay and changing that's a great thing like we can't expect everyone to be perfect all the time that'd be absolutely ridiculous like seeing things up and changing is a is a great thing I think the thing that this is saying to me is that that the when the beer community is good, it it it's great. I mean, the four of us are sat here tonight, and the, the thing that 
connects us all is that we've we've each got to know each other because of beer in in a different way and as a result of that friendships have grown and you know we've been able to the three of us have now been able to come together to, to produce this podcast you know I was able to call on Ruth as, as what I consider a friend to, to come and join us as, as our first guest and you know that's that, that was no mistake that yeah. bringing bringing Ruth in for this first show that that was done on purpose because we are we, we are very conscious that we're three white guys another three white guys producing another beer podcast <laughs> um so we aren't exactly representative of some of the things that we're going to talk about but but who better to come on and talk about it than, than than someone who I consider a friend who I've known throughout my entire podcasting journey who's been challenging me to have these conversations for, for, for years and we we've got a platform here and we need to use our voice better and, and you know what I'll, I'll start that challenge here and now if if you as our listeners aren't comfortable with that don't listen it's as simple as that but if you are with us on this journey then join us in being the change that you want to see you, you know change your own behavior and challenge those bad behaviors when when you see them that's that's all we can ask ask you to do it, it's as simple as that and i'll get off my little pedestal now it's it's not it's the, it's the first show i don't want to be up here ranting and raving straight away um ruth thank you so much for joining us for, for this first show uh this well, probably welcome probably puts to bed all of the arguments that was had towards the end of opinions <laughs> as to who's appeared the most times and all the rest of it i think you are now probably the undisputed queen of that title so the the crown is very much in the post to you but we do wish you all the success in in your new post at elusive and we do hope that elusive continue to grow as as, as well from strength to strength and andy just keeps churning out those great beers that's that that's all one for I'm, I'm sure mark's got a list of all the styles that he wants andy to produce for him so um thank you so much uh, again ruth it's, it's been great to have you join us it was great to have ruth join us uh personally for me as somebody that appeared on the last opinions and on the first belonging it's kind of carried over that continuation of, of of the podcast and what we've been doing but also it was great just to chat with her about where she's at with elusive and where elusive are going in the future and, and also incredible stuff. guest incredible yeah, guest yeah, yeah. she was re- really good um i will say at this point that we did have a great discussion with ruth about mental health and the beer industry and how the two work work together um but we felt as though that really needs its own show and, and, and didn't need to be part of the discussion, what you've just heard. So that's something that will be coming up in, in, in the future. So we, 100%. we, yeah, we may yeah. well invite Ruth back on. We may have other guests on that might become more of a sort of panel discussion type show, but that that's definitely coming in the future. We, we had a, we had a long talk about it as a group, you know, it, it was a really great part of the interview. Um, and it wasn't a decision we took lightly, but, we'd love people to hear it but it's also it's a much bigger conversation than could be crammed into the eight or nine minutes that we had with Ruth on it so it it deserves more attention and we're only saying that because we, we you know we want to bring that to you yeah agreed absolutely so, so, so look out for that one in the future and, and thanks again for, for for Ruth coming coming on there 
Before we head into the, the final part of the show, we've opened a final beer each. And at this point of each show, we're going to kind of be drinking something that's been hanging around in the back of the cellar, in the back of the fridge, maybe forgotten about. Somebody's left it. It's there. It's never been drunk. So it's kind of that opportunity for us just to get it in a glass and, and drink it and share our thoughts about it. I'm going to lead off with this one. I've got a bottle of Guinness Foreign Extra Stout. This is the 7.5% version. I picked this up on a clearance shelf in Tesco. It had a yellow sticker on it. It, I I know it cost me about two quid for for, for the bottle. I think it was Uh, expensive for a yellow sticker. The the best before date on (laughs) it was the 6th of October 2019. So this is is already three years out of date. So you could probably imagine it was brewed 18 months before that. So this is a a four-year-old Guinness Foreign Extra Stout. And and all I'm going to say is that the ageing has done it no favours whatsoever. (laughs) Really? um, It's got a slightly kind of plasticky rubbery tang to it on 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 the flavor there's it's almost like plasticine um it's uh there's some fruity notes in it yeah age hasn't been a friend of of this beer so i'm not quite sure what it's going to do to my constitution overnight and tomorrow morning but i'm i'm going to enjoy this as we as we head into the last part of the show rob what have you found in in the back of your cupboard for this month i have found at the back of my cupboard a bottle of probably the most famous flanders red ale duchess de borgon um apologies to any flemish people for the pronunciation but um yeah this one as well i must have bought this pre-pandemic and i thought oh i saw it on the shelf i thought i'll get one of those and then i kind of just forgot about that and apparently it went it's best before day it was first of the fourth 2022 and we are on the 29th for the 9th, 2022 now. But um, luckily for me, I don't think the beer has uh, suffered too much for that with the style of it. There's quite, um, there's a sourness, a funkiness to it anyway. And it's it's tasting good. It's It's got all that, I don't know how you feel about this beer, Steve, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of what you'd expect the balsamic vinegar is the mm. first thing on the nose straight away, but Although it's it's quite complex, isn't it, really? But at the same time, it's quite an easy drinking. There's a lot of um, sort of berry, dark fruit to it, a little little chocolatey flavour to it. It just, just pairs beautifully with the, um, the balsamic sourness. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange one for me because not not being a massive fan of the the, the sour beers. I actually don't mind a Duchess. I, I yeah. can actually drink it. And I think it's those chocolatey berry notes that you talk about that come through in it yeah. that, that, that kind of balance it out. But but yeah, as, as soon as you said you, you had that, I mean, my, my first question was going to be was how's your balsamic vinegar? Yeah, Because I, that, that's the thing that's most um, prominent about it, isn't it? I'll tell you what, I'm just desperate to go downstairs and get some cheese to enjoy with this now. <laughs> That that could be a future segment on 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 the podcast. Who knows? We may we, we may pair cheeses with these beers that we find in the back of our cupboard. Mark, what's in your glass? Well, on the opposite uh, end of the spectrum of this segment, which I do think 
um, I've got too many things aging in the back of the cupboard, the proverbial cupboard, as it would say. But I also have uh, enough things that are just potentially going to age for a long time if I, because I can't think of a reason. So I've not had this particularly a long time, but it's Riggan Furrows Brewery, Giant Owl, 8% barrel aged blended stout. Now, I all I oh, literally all I know about this is that I bought it from um, potential future friend of the show, Paul Grant's um, business, Crane Schooner, up in Kirkcaldy, um, in Scotland. But Riggan Furrow, I believe, are from Northumberland Way. Mm. The bottle doesn't give you any more information other than it being a, a blended stout. That is all the information it gives you, and it's one of those beers that I keep glancing at you know it's in a 330 mil bottle and i keep glancing at it thinking when 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 am i ever going to fancy that beer so it was one of those beers that was in danger of encroaching into the back of the cupboard territory i picked it out for this because i've already had the imperial eagle i didn't want to be going in double figures to finish the show it's absolutely gorgeous it's but it is it's 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 absolutely it's an absolutely delicious beer it's a, a, some kind of blended stout. I've not really got much to say about it. I'm just, I'm just glad that I've uh, opened it for the first episode of this. I have nothing else to say about it. I'm really glad you two have got something nice because my plasticky, plasticine thing here is, mm. I'm, I'm drinking it, but that's that's just because it's there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. I've, I've got to say because I would have thought that the foreign extra stout would would have aged well. Yeah, uh, I would have expected so. What is, what is it about seven and a half percent? Yeah, seven and a half percent. Um, anyway, it, it, it is what it is. It's the end of this belonging show, my friend. Let's get into the, 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 the final part of the show. So, we again, this is one of these things that it's going to change from show to show because we've got a few ideas in terms of what this last part of the show should look like. So this time around, we're going to go for a, my first time. And we're all going to talk about the first time that we went to Indie Man. So we're, we're going to continue on that theme that we were discussing earlier, uh, earlier. Mark, I think you said you went to the very first one, did you? Not only the very first um, Indie Man, but the very first session of Indie Man. Which in 2012, I can't remember how many sessions there were. I know it was only on the Friday and Saturday that it happened. I don't know whether there was two sessions per day, but it was uh, the Friday afternoon session was the first one that I went. It was a very different experience. It was only the uh, the only the two rooms were open, which were I don't I don't know what they would be called now, but what I would consider the middle room, which is the one that's not a bath slash pool itself. And then the far room, none of the other rooms were really open apart from maybe one of the side rooms. It was a very different experience. If you can, and there are images of it out there now, 2012 Indie Man. If you can find them, you will recognize every single person in those photos, pretty much <laughs> any, any person that's, pretty much still involved in the beer community, whether good or bad, you know, we're talking, whether it ranges from Dom from Thornbridge or even James Watt is in those pictures, the, you will recognise just about everybody in those pictures. Um, it was, 
a, a much smaller event as you uh, as you would imagine but straight away i i just hailed it as just the best beer festival that i'd ever been to and very little change the 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 main takeaway that I always say think from that though is because of, it was in those two rooms that middle room had all the food in it, and by the end of that session that we were at, the place was just full of smoke from all the frying of burgers and hot dogs that were going around the outside from us in that middle room. Which now that you think about it, is a crazy place to put the cooking of food, but. The, Everybody came away from there smelling like a fish, a fishing chip shop on a Friday night. But you knew straight away from walking in that we've already talked about the venue Victoria Baths. Imagine that for that first time when it was relatively empty of just being like, "How is, how is a a British beer festival happening?" In such a glorious venue, it was, it was, it was really, really special and why i think the we, we talked about the reason that it has had such a longevity of it i, I don't want i don't want to sound I don't, I don't mean to sound pretentious when i say i was i was there the moment that i walked in Very, i was one of the first people to walk in and go this is freaking special com, compared to a, any other beer festival any other just event in general that i've been to it was really really special so that was my first indie man, so I'm sure you're going to trump that now, Steve, and tell me all about yours. So I'm I'm not going to trump it now because you were there at the, f- the very first one. Um, my first one was in 2014, which obviously would have been two years on from that. And and, and all I can remember is there was um, a buzz about it from the year before. So which which obviously recounting your experience there, Mark, you must have experienced that from the very first year and and that obviously grew the year after and then uh, so 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 i was ready for the tickets to go on sale in 2014 and i i I got them and i I remember the first time walking in to the 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 baths yes you're blown away first of all by the environment by the building it's it's just something so special and something so unique and and it will remain ever that way in the UK in terms of its uniqueness, I think. And and then I just remember walking into that first room, which I think two years on, they had realised that wasn't the best place for food. Let's get that out the back. Let's get the food outside. Um, so, so that first room was beer and uh, all the tables and, and, and the benches all, all in the middle. And, and I just literally, I remember walking in and... The, the only thing that springs to mind is like I was a kid in a sweet shop again because I, I had this empty glass and I had all these options and I simply didn't know where I was going to go. And again, I think probably much like that, that, that photo that you say exists of 2012, even if you take that picture in 2014, there's so many people in that room that you could pick out and say, Oh, that's them. And that's this person. That's this person. It was still that place to be and I, I think it is still that place now albeit it's grown and there are more people there but even even only two years in I, I remember walking in and thinking this this is there's something special about this and you just can't put your finger on what it is you could say yes it's the it's the venue 
Yes, it's the coming together of great people in beer. Yes, it's the brilliant beer that's on offer. But I still think there's something else. Uh, it's just uh, an, there's an aura. There's an overall yes. vibe. Rob, that's that's brilliant. It's 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 an aura that that exists around that around that festival so when, when was the first time that, that that you went rob so again always a couple of years after that it was 2016 well, i touched upon earlier perhaps that was maybe that was the year where it maybe reached a new height so it'd been going for a few years at that point and like i was i was fully prepared to be there on on my computer right on the second to make sure i got tickets for that saturday daytime session the 11 o'clock start one and what what stands out to me most about that year is just the difference between the breweries that were there then compared to um the breweries who'll be represented this weekend and it's like how things have changed since then for example like Cloudwater were a very new entity at that point so there's uh, there's some buzz about them and like they'd bought out their first like double ipas so, but then there was like, uh, for example, I was really excited to go there and try a couple of different beers from from Weird Beard, who maybe, well, I don't know, they're kind of, they've had some difficulties, I, I guess, and it's it's good to see that uh, it looks to be on a on a new path now. Hopefully, going back to in in the right direction. But like they they were like a big hyped brewery and sort of the, the craft beer saying back in those days apologies for using the whole craft beer word but <laughs> yeah so it's just it's interesting to look back and see how differently will the festival how different the festival is going to look even though it's still in the same same venue and there's still that same sort of aura around it all it's, it's crazy how, how far <clears throat> beer has come in 10 11 years that it's been and yet this one festival in a lot of people's mind is supposed to have stayed the same you know and apart apart from the first couple of years when it was finding its feet i think a lot of people think that it should still be the same festival and crikey if things changed and moved we all know from that you know i started writing in the same year that Indie Man started. Steve started blogging in the same year that Indie Man started. So we know how much things have changed in that time. And yet there are people that still want the festival to be the same in a lot of ways and still catering to the same crowd. Of course it's had to move on and adapt. I'll tell you what is one thing about in-demand compared to say a lot of the craft beer festivals these days, um, insert quotation craft and uh, quotation craft, but uh, a lot of those festivals now are for the like a uh, one price all in ticket, which is something that in-demand have, have resisted. They've still got their old school token system, which kind of makes you think about what you're experiencing a little bit more. Whereas, so the all in really you kind of just like go a bit mad and just go and let loose on everything whereas in demand it still has the tokens you've got to just uh i don't know take a deep breath and then figure out what you're going to do next in indie man wouldn't be indie man about the tokens yeah yeah I, I think i think it's as i think that's that's inherently part of what makes that festival yeah is, that's is, a- that, is, is that you you're buying 
you're buying these little plastic discs that you then go and exchange for really tasty beer and essentially a great experience. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like your magic beans. It's Jack and the yeah. Beanstalk, isn't it? That's <laughs> it's, it's, as, it's as simple as that. It's like yeah. someone's selling you an experience and, and the tokens are part of that experience. Yeah, in in demand, it has an identity and it knows its identity and it doesn't need to stray far from that. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of Belonging. Before we get to, to, to that, though, there are a few thank yous that, that we need to publicly put, put out because it, it's important that we thank the people that have helped make this happen. So first of all, thank you to Clayton, who did all of the artwork, did the amazing beer mosaic which we hope will become a thing um on 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 the social medias and he was very very patient with us coming back and saying oh well this isn't quite right that isn't quite right we got there in the end and and it's absolutely perfect and we hope hope maybe that one day we'll be able to offer some sort of merch with with that amazing logo on because that believe me that's a logo that needs to be on a t-shirt it it really (laughs) is so so thanks to clayton for doing that for us thank you also to danny at the owl lady if you didn't recognize the voice right at the beginning of the podcast that's danny and she did a brilliant job of doing that for us so thank you very much for that um thanks to our very own rob for doing all of the music uh again if you didn't pick up his accent during the little tunes there um then what were you listening to but thanks thanks rob for that uh thanks mark for being mr mark johnson and being part of this wonderful new um podcast that we're producing and thank you to all of those people and you all know who you are that knew about what we were doing and had to keep it a secret um and for those of you that managed to keep it a secret thank you for those of you that didn't we'll be having words in 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 the future but it's it's been great um we've been very excited for the last couple of months waiting for this release date and we're so glad that it's finally out there so we can talk about it. and and i personally as we recalled this on the eve of indie man for you two i'm gutted that you can't revel in this moment at indie man because it just fell wrong but hopefully there will be future occasions when we we can all get together with with our listeners and and, and drink i was just gonna say for tomorrow i think we're both gonna be uh keeping an eye on each other to make sure no one gets too excited <laughs> to uh let the news out too early and i also just like to say um thanks to you steve for uh inviting us to to be involved and thanks to mark for uh having a lot to say so i don't go on for too long <laughs> It's an absolute pleasure. Now, in terms of where you can find us, um, I'm still at Beer O'Clock Show on all of the social medias. So you can follow me for particularly on Twitter for the latest updates on what's happening with the podcast, what we're going to be doing, the sorts of things we're going to be featuring and how to get involved. Mark, where can our listeners find you? They can find me at Mark Eng Johnson on Twitter or at beercompagation.co.uk for my blog. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rob underscore Edwards 90, where you'll find a, uh, a link to my other stuff, including my blog Wednesday beers and my, uh, my music stuff with social distancing sounds. Just going to rewind here a little bit because Mark, I know you've recently done, um, you, you've achieved 10 years of blogging as, as, as I did with the podcast at the same time. And you did a blog that was where people got to ask you questions and, 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 and you answered them. And you were quite disappointed that from all the questions that you got, not a single person asked you 
about the title of your blog. And Paul Donald asked him about 26 questions. Exactly. And that wasn't involved. So let's let's get it out right here, right now. First beer longing. Mark, why is it called Beer Compagation? Um, when I was looking for a title for my blog, I honestly do not know where I came across the word compagation. But at some point, I thought, I came across this word and thought, it's a beautiful word. What does it mean? And I looked it up, and it meant um, exclaiming yourself, exalting yourself of something, basically releasing your opinion onto the world. And I thought, that's absolutely perfect for what I want my blog to be. But when I thought that's what it meant, I was a bit tipsy. So I named my blog that, signed up for it, started writing under it, when I look back under what compagation means, it doesn't mean that at all. But I'm determined that because nobody else know what it is, knows what it means, that it will remain that for all time because nobody else knows what it means. So it will remain this definition that I had in my head one drunken night in my parents' bedroom in 2012. <laughs> so... And there's a challenge for our listeners at the end of the first show. So use the hashtag compagation <laughs> to let us know what you think it means. This has been absolutely amazing. I've loved doing this um, with, 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 with you guys. And I think we've got a long way to, to, to go with this podcast. This is only the first one of hopefully many. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this first episode. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on the things we've been chatting about. Cheers. 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 Let's do this. Some That's a word I've never used. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> I'm glad this is all on record. This is going in the post credit sequence. <laughs> so should. Oh, there's a thing. We might have post credit sequence. As, I'm excited. As, as a regular thing. We might we're, we're, Steve just walks into a room with me and Robin goes, I'm here to talk to you about the Belonging Initiative. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.